Well, we turn to God's Word together, and if you have a Bible with you, we're looking at the opening chapter of Romans this evening. Looking at Romans 1 into chapter 2. I'm reading from the ESV this evening. Romans 1, we're going to begin our reading at verse 16. I'm going to carry the whole way through to chapter 2, verse 11. And as we read, we want to remember this evening that this is God's Word to us, and so we can trust it fully. And know that this is the only perfect part of all that we do this evening. Romans 1 verse 16. This is God's word to us. Paul writes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator rather than the creator, creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventor of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume 
on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this evening. Amen. Can I encourage you this evening as we come to God's word together again to open your Bible again at Romans chapter 1. It would be a great help for both me and you this evening if you're able to follow along with us. You may or you may not be aware of this, but tomorrow, Monday the 31st of October, is a really significant date for those of us in the Reformed faith. It is Reformation Day. A day which remembers the moment when Martin Luther penned the 95 Theses, which was a list of questions and topics for debate that Luther put together. And as some stories would say, he then nailed them to the front of the Wittenberg Cathedral. Stephen Nichols comments this. He says, Martin Luther, a scholar, took quill in hand, dipped in his inkwell and penned his 95 Theses on October 31st, 1517. These were intended to spark a debate, to stir some soul-searching among fellow brothers in the church. The 95 Theses sparked far more than a debate. The 95 Theses also revealed the church was far beyond rehabilitation. It needed a reformation. The church and the world would never be the same. And this is why the events of the Reformation is so important and significant for us to think about together. And the passage that we've just read in Romans 1 is one which many have said it was of particular important and powerful for Martin Luther as he began to think about reforming the church. Martin found himself stuck in a Catholic religion that taught that righteousness and faith come as a result of what things they're able to do, what works they could complete, and how much in really simple terms they could afford to spend or give to those who are in positions of religious power over them. But as the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, he began to see that this was not how someone came to a saving faith, how righteousness was not something to be worked towards, but is freely given to humanity when they trust by faith alone, and he grew daily in his understanding of the grace of God in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So this evening, I want us to dig into this passage together at the opening of Romans 1 and one of those great letters of Paul so that we're able to be reminded of the core truths that are ours and also so that we can begin to learn much more about this world around us, the chaos of it, and sometimes even in our own personal lives. And so as we begin to think about this, I want us to see that Paul is quick to separate two groups in this passage. 
He speaks on one account of the righteous and on the other of the unrighteous. And therefore tonight we're going to spend our time drawing out two things about each of these groups. And so the first point that will come up on the screen for us is that the unrighteous suppress the truth about God. We'll come back later in my sermon to those great verses in verse 16 and 17. But look at it with me in Romans 1, how quickly Paul in this letter is speaking, is seeking to speak about God's wrath coming upon all unrighteousness. See, Paul here is writing to this church in Rome to, one, encourage them in their faith. He wants them to support him in his ministry across Europe and to continue to preach the gospel to them. But in seeking to do all of these things, Paul is not hiding from the hard facts of the gospel. But instead, he's clear here in verse 18 that God's wrath is coming upon all those who practice unrighteousness. And this isn't by no means a light thing that Paul is saying. This was the unrighteousness that entered the world right back at the very beginning of the biblical story. That moment when sin came into the world and became the great divide between God and humanity. A holy God can no longer then dwell with an unholy and unrighteous people. And he continues to tell them that it's this very unrighteousness which has caused many men to suppress the truth about God. And I was thinking about that fact this week. I had two very random things come into my head. Firstly, I thought of having to stand on top of my bin in order to squeeze down my rubbish so that I could fit more in during console strikes. And the second thing then, as a coffee fan or as a tea drinker, I must admit, I thought about squeezing an press or a cafetiere or as you're not meant to do, a tea bag at the side of the cup to get it all out and into the mug. But we'll all have our own thoughts when we think about suppressing, squeezing out, trying to play down, when we think about trying to condense something. And see, that's exactly what Paul is saying that humanity have done with Almighty God. They've tried to almost squeeze him out of their thinking, tried to turn away from him as if he isn't even there. Paul is appealing in verse 19 to that sense of God that all humanity have within themselves and is something that is inwardly stimulated in all of humanity as they look at his creation, which reveals his character to us. We've been thinking and praying and singing about that this evening. Only this past week, I had a conversation with someone who was pregnant, who is pregnant, And they were speaking of the wonder of looking at a scan and seeing all the little details of their baby that was inside of her. How amazing the human body is and how this could not have all happened by chance. But it shows the markings of a great creator. Creation reveals who God is. But humanity in their unrighteousness, humans have suppressed this natural knowledge of who God is. And that causes Paul to say in verse 20, look again with me, that they are left without excuse. That judgment that is falling upon them as they have chosen to subdue that knowledge of God and instead of praising him, and in doing so they have sought their own praise and their own pleasure. You see, Paul is keen to highlight to this church in Rome, but also to us here this evening in Bucknah, that the unrighteous, they don't just push down or push away the knowledge of God. 
What they do instead is they foolishly choose to bring other things near. They bring lesser things close. And that brings us to our second point this evening. That the unrighteous trade God for created things. Let me reread for us verses 21 to 23, please. Again, follow along with me. Paul writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor God, him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, Paul here is developing his argument. He said, not only have the unrighteous failed to give the appropriate glory and praise, but as they've become fools, they've chose to trade the glory and greatness of who God is for the minor and minuscule things in which he has created in comparison. We were at a wedding earlier this week, and at the table there was little boxes, the table favors, that were filled with different kinds of sweets in them. And during the meal, is one way to kind of mix people. People spent their time trying to trade up. They were trying to look for sweets that they preferred and getting rid of the ones that they maybe didn't like as much. That's an annual tradition, I imagine, in most of our homes come Christmas. There's always bounties left at the bottom of the box. And that's just a small picture, when I was thinking about it this week, of how humanity have tried to trade up. They've missed the complete wonder of God Almighty. They've missed his bigness and his greatness in all things. And instead, they've, they've chose to exchange him for things that were, as in comparison, as significant as which sweets you prefer. Do we see this evening just how foolish we are as humans? This is what we do every single day. Even those of us here, here tonight who are believers. It's maybe important for us to note that in failing to recognize who God is, they're unrighteous. Well, they have not stopped worshiping. Instead, they've just changed the object of their worship and praise. They choose now to worship the created thing instead of the creator. Because of the sinfulness of their hearts, God has given them up to the deceptive desires and lustful longings of their hearts. Paul repeats this idea, if you look with me, in verse 24, 26, and 28. This produces for us three little sections to consider. And what we see when we look at these passages is we see a real downward spiral that sin brings. Verses 24 and 25, we see God give them up to their sinfulness, to sexual immorality. As humanity, you foolishly choose to dishonor and disrespect their own bodies. Verse 26 and 27 shows us how God give, gives them up because of the sinfulness and brokenness of their relationships. As homosexual relations, relationships were apparent in the world of that day and not just in our world today. In verses 28 to 32, we see listed 21 different sins which flow out and come from a debased mind 
which causes humanity to do what they ought what ought not to be done look at them with me they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they're full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless and so in the utter sinfulness they have failed to recognize the truths about god which is within themselves and in this world around them in god's creation and they trade god in all of his glory and splendor for weak and insignificant things and maybe some of us are parents here this evening and we know that process of having to let kids come and they come and ask us to do something that we know won't work out well for them but they persist and we let them do it because sometimes as parents you know that you need to let them do it in order for them to learn well there's got to be elements of that with god allowing us to go to our deceptive desires and lustful longings this evening keller writes these words he says romans 1 28 to 32 that list of sins that we've just read is unsettling because all of us find ourselves there one way or another not that this list given by paul is an exhaustive list of how idolatry can work out in someone's life but much more it is an exploration into the total depravity of humanity which means whilst everything we do is not completely sinful what it does mean is that we cannot do anything that's not untouched by sin so as we read such lists as this we begin to follow the argument that paul is trying to make here to this church in rome what we need to see here is that paul is not just speaking about all of those things that are going on out there but much more he's talking about all the things that go on in here the things that go on in our hearts and in our lives this is why paul has spent so long showing and teaching on the unrighteousness of humanity what effect did he want this to happen on us see i think he wants the reader to understand something of the reality of this world that we find ourselves in and also the reality of us as broken humans I think he's also keen to fight against that notion that we just become head nodders he doesn't want people simply to agree with him and say yes paul that's so true for everyone that's out there he wants this little church to see how this applies to them individually he goes on in chapter two to highlight how he doesn't want to give license to people to feel like they're able they're better than anyone else especially for the jewish listeners who are prone to judge the gentile people for not being like them he wants to make sure that they know that they are equally as guilty as what does he say he says they practice this very same thing so even if they think they're justified to judge others no one will stop or avoid the judgment of god that is coming upon all unrighteousness and tonight that includes people like us 
tonight as we gather to worship, we must be humble to the fact that left by ourselves, we are no better than those who find themselves outside the church this evening. We all have that sinful tendency to be self-seeking, which Paul refers to in chapter 2, verse 8. The reality is that we are still full under the trap of our sinful nature. We're all too prone to suppress what we know to be true about God, what we know to be true about his goodness and his love. And instead we act as if, if he's nothing. We try to satisfy our desires in the things that he has made instead of trying to satisfy them in him and him alone. And this evening that could be absolutely anything for us doesn't always have to be what we might consider as bad things. But more likely it's good things for us. We can try to satisfy our desires in things like our career, our family life, how well our kids are getting on at school, how far our grandkids are going at university. We could be doing it about our church. It's great to see so many people at GB. It's great that so many people are coming along. Those things are great things. But they're not great things. They become sinful things when they take the place that only God deserves in our hearts. And so we must be careful that we cannot be those who say, look at all the issues that go on out there. But instead we must start first by saying, look at all the things that go on in here. And as we do that, we come And we come to the Lord Jesus, the one who is gracious and kind. Because as humanity is left to themselves, we are completely hopeless. And so that's why it's great news for us tonight to be able to move to our third point. That the righteous live by faith. R.C. Sproul speaks about how influential, go back in our passage, Romans 1.17 was for Luther. And his understanding of how humanity is to become justified and righteous before God's eyes in those early stages of the Reformation. You see, as Luther read these verses, he was made to stop and question, what does it actually mean that the righteous shall live by faith? And what he began to discover graciously as the Holy Spirit opened his eyes was that this righteousness was something that was given by God, graciously to humanity. Not to those who have worked to achieve it, but solely to those who receive it by faith. He discovered that here this means not to make, but instead to regard or to count or to declare as righteous. This is not Paul here describing God's perfect righteousness. But instead, Paul here in Romans 1, 16 and 17 is outlining the righteousness which is graciously given to us and made available to believers by faith and faith alone. And this was completely revolutionary for Luther and the thoughts of those who were religious at the time. No longer did they need to work their way into God's favor, but instead they began to understand what Paul is beginning to say to them as he calls for them to have faith. Look at Paul's argument here. 
He begins verse 16 by saying that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not going to hide the reality of what the gospel means. We've seen that already. We've spent a lot of time thinking about God's wrath against all unrighteousness. And why is Paul so confident? Well, he knows that the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to broken humanity. And that is a hope and assurance, he he says, is available to all people, both Jew and Greek alike. So if we've already said that all before deserved his judgment, God's judgment, now we see graciously that salvation by faith alone through grace alone is available to absolutely everyone. And this is only made possible for us here tonight because of the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who is the righteousness of God revealed for us. The gospel in all of its glory reveals God to us. It reveals his character. It reveals his righteousness for us. And the great news for us here is that just as humanity in their foolishness seek to trade the glory and riches of God for the insignificant things that he has created, in the Lord Jesus we see the greatest exchange as he hangs upon a cross for us. You see, what happens is that the Lord Jesus takes our broken, messed up and sinful record upon himself as he dies in our place. And in exchange, we are given his perfect, spotless record as our own. Not because we deserve it, but instead purely because of his grace and his love for each and every one of us. This is not something we need to work towards We can't impress God enough in order to gain his favor. He's not looking at our report card or how many stars we have on our charts. Instead, this salvation is only given to us as we trust in him by faith alone. And when we do trust in faith, we are spared the wrath of God that we've already thought about that we deserve because of our unrighteousness. When we trust in God by faith alone, we are not treated as we deserve. Instead, what happens to us when we experience the power of the gospel is we are welcomed into God's family. We're brought back into relationship with him again. And maybe tonight that's the first time you've ever heard this. If that's you, then you have two options. You can either remain with the unrighteous, awaiting God's wrath, Or you can believe by faith that the Lord Jesus and through him be counted as the righteous. Not because you've worked for it, not because you have anything good of yourself, not because you've given a certain amount into the offering plate. But you trust in what he has done for you on your behalf. That's how we come to be part of God's people. That's how we know forgiveness. That's the power of the gospel for us this evening. So that when the judgment of God comes on us, we aren't left helpless like a little child, unable to account for our own unrighteousness. But instead, we are looked upon as righteous because of what has been given to us through the blood of the Lord Jesus. What incredible news for us. Great news which we cannot neglect, even 
if we're a believer here tonight, even if you've been a believer for 60 years or longer, this is news that ought to thrill our hearts this evening. Because this is the good news of the gospel. These are things we need to remind ourselves of each and every day. We need to know what God has done for us because it changes absolutely everything for us. With that thought, we come to our very last point, that the righteous seek God's glory. In chapter 2, verse 6, we see how Paul commands those who wait patiently, seeking to do good and living for God's glory. And that has major implications for us here this evening in Bucknell. Because no longer as those who are redeemed can we live like we used to. We need to be, therefore, those who no longer seek our own pleasures, but God's glory all the time. We need to be those who do not seek to satisfy our sinful desire, but instead we live in accord to how God commands us to live and seek to live in a way that is in accord to his goodness. Not so that we get the praise, not so people think we're great, not so that people think there's something different about them, but so that God gets all the glory and the praise that he deserves. But do you know what it means for us most of all? It means that we don't live with those without hope. But instead, you and I as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can live with a real confidence, a real assurance in the salvation that is ours. We live now to an audience of one. So we don't worry about the opinions of this world but we can rest completely in the new identity given to us by God as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But this new life, this eternal hope also carries a significant charge for us. These two groups, righteous and unrighteous, well, we still see them everywhere we turn today in our world. And we're called to be those that are equipped by God to go into all the world and to share this great news with those around us. We as God's people do not want to see, we cannot live with the thought of a perishing world that does not know of the tremendous hope that is ours. In a world that is crippled with a mental health crisis, a lack of confidence in government and those in power, in a world where we see wickedness almost at every corner and sadness and struggle in the lives of so many. How can we as a church not be those who do all that we can to share this word of life and hope in what is a dying and hopeless generation? We are praying before the service and I was so pleased to hear prayers for the farmer's mission happening in the weeks to come. Why are we not inviting people to these things? Why are we not sharing the good news of the gospel with those who need to hear it? Would we pray this evening that the Lord of the harvest would reap a real harvest amongst us? That he would be calling people onto himself. That he would be saving our lost relatives, our lost friends, the people that we work with. That as God's people, we go into another week with a renewed confidence about who we are and what has been done for us in and through the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that we would be those that share the, all the glorious riches 
of the gospel to a desperate world. Let's join our hearts and let's pray together. Father God, the words of your scriptures blow us away. Father, we know this evening that as we read those words, we find ourselves by ourselves more in the camp of the unrighteous. Father, we know our wickedness. God, we know the ways in which we fail you. Father, we know the ways in which our hearts are deceptive. Father, we know our inner thoughts. Father, we know our temptations. Father, we know the things that we want to do for ourselves. But Father, we thank you and praise you with all that we have that you do not count us as unrighteous anymore. That Father, is because of the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus, Father, because of his sacrifice, because of his life, death, and subsequent resurrection, that Father, we can have hope tonight. Hope that you don't see us left in our sin, but Father, that you see us in Christ's righteousness that's been given to us. Father, would you help us to know more of what it means for us to be adopted sons and daughters of the King tonight? Would you help us to know what it means for us to go into a world that is desperate for the, to hear the words of the gospel? Father, would you equip us? Would you send us out? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you change our hearts? Would you soften us for the people that need to hear it? Would you break us for the cries of this world around us? Father, in a world where there is such need, in a world where there's such sadness and suffering, Father, let not your church be silent. But Father, send us out. And Father, as we go out, we pray that you would go before us and that, Father, you would be reaping a harvest. That, Father, you would be drawing people in to your people, into your church. Father, not so we can boast, not so we can give... Um, great words of praise to ourselves but Father that we can give all honour and glory and power to you Father you are our great God you're the one deserving of all of our praise so Father we pray tonight that you help us to leave encouraged encouraged that we are not left hopeless in our sin but we are made alive in the Lord Jesus we are given eternal hope and assurance of our place with you for all of eternity Father, would you lift our eyes back to you again, we pray. Father, would you send us out as those who are equipped, excited about the words of the gospel. And Father, those who go and seek your glory, wherever it is that you take us this week. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.